What an amazing morning already. Amen? It was just beautiful. I sitting up front and the voices just coming at us. It was like amazing this morning. It was just so beautiful. And of course, it kind of captures the spirit of the Christmas season for most of us, right? And for some of us, we're being drugged along. And for some of us, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Well, as we look at the Christmas season, one of the questions we're asking is, do we really need Christmas? What if Jesus never came? be very scary. What if Jesus never came? And so last week we were looking at Mary. We were looking at the Christmas story through the eyes of a young woman. Someone who certainly knew about God, certainly someone who knew God, certainly someone who was looking to the promises of God, but she was young. Life had not really rolled out all that much. And we describe this encounter that she had as a Kairos moment. In the scriptures, we'll find that the Bible talks sometimes about time as it unfolds. There's these increasing number of minutes and we just see it incrementally move along. But there's another way the Bible uses time and it's Kairos. Kairos is this time where there's a moment, there's an encounter, something big happens that God is doing and Mary captured the Kairos moment. You realize you could have a Kairos moment and not realize it's a Kairos moment. You may not realize what God is doing. I've had several of these in my life it was a few years ago now, but when I was first called into ministry. Now, why do I say it was a Kairos moment? Why do I say it was an encounter with God? Well, some of you have heard the story was I graduated from the University of Illinois. I had been looking for a job. I had graduated, which was nice, looking for a job, which was not so nice. And finally, it was a Friday. I found the job. The guy was an alum of University of Illinois, Champaign, and he offered me the job on the spot. I don't know why I said this to him, but I looked at him, it was about three o'clock, as I said, a Friday afternoon, and I said, could I have the weekend to think about it? Now, this was the exact job I had been looking for. It was all lined up. He had offered it to me. It was mine for the taking, and I look at him and say, could I have the weekend to think about it? Now, in my heart, I was thinking, could I have the weekend to pray about it? Now, that sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? I was planning on taking the job, just telling him on Monday. I just thought, I better pray. The next day, that's a Saturday. I didn't lose anybody, right? Monday, Tuesday, right? <laughs> Saturday. I grew up in Wheeling, just a little bit east of here. I'm driving westbound on Dundee Road, Route 68. Now, if you're familiar with that part of the area, I'm heading over the Sioux Railroad tracks. I'm on the west side of Wheeling. I grew up on the east side, Milwaukee Avenue area. So here I am, I'm driving, and you get the moment here in just a second. I drive over the railroad tracks, and I hear this voice. Now, it wasn't an audible voice but it might as well have been. It was as clear and as crisp and as strong as anyone talking to you face to face. And it was God saying, don't take this job. I want you to go on staff 
with Campus Crusade for Christ. Now, I had already missed my opportunity with Campus Crusade. The timeline had gone past, the deadline was gone, and I was like, what did I just hear? That was a Kairos moment. God broke into my life and was giving me some clear, strong, straightforward direction. So on Monday, I called the guy up, said, hey, I'm not interested in the job. I then called up the uh, people, the personnel department of Campus Crusade for Christ. I said, hey, I'm interested in the position, and could this go forward? And they said, well, you've missed everything. And I said, well, I'm here and I'm ready. And I couldn't believe it. They said, it's too late. I thought I had heard the Lord, so I got a train ticket and went out to Colorado. They said, what are you doing here? <laughs> I said, I'm here because I believe the Lord is leading me to be on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. They said, you've missed all the training. You've missed everything we need to do. I said, well, I'm here. They said, well, we can see that. <laughs> Long story short, they allowed me to come on staff with Campus Crusade and all the training, and then God put me on a whole new trajectory. So what I want you to hear in this simple story is God is giving all of us moments, times when we can respond to Him, and when we do, it changes our destiny. That moment, that Kairos moment, changed the destiny of my life. And God is doing the same thing in yours. Well, this morning, we're going to look not at Mary's life again, but we're going to go to someone who's advanced in years, and we're going to look at his Kairos moment. We're going to look at how he is looking at some ordinary events that become extraordinary events, but he sees God's work in it. If you have your Bible, would you open with me to Luke chapter 1? If you don't have a Bible and you have a cell phone, it's always good to have the Word of God in front of you. You could always go to Fox Valley Church app. Just go to the app store, Fox Valley Church Dundee. And there's a Bible app on there or other Bible apps. But Luke chapter 1, verse 67. If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word Verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days, all our days. Take a moment and pray. Father, as we look at your word, we came here hungry. We may not have known we were hungry, but God, we're hungry people. We're hungry for a word from you. 
We're hungry for you to speak into our lives. We're hungry for you to change the direction and destinies of our lives, our children, our grandchildren. We're not here by accident. We're here, God, because you are at work doing amazing things in this world. Would you, God, by your grace, by your power, by your spirit, give us eyes to see what you're doing in this moment. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen, amen, grab a seat. I want to ask you a question. As we look at Mary, last week we said that what comes together out of Mary was that we need Christmas because we need mercy. All of us need mercy. Mary, one of her main points, her Kairos moment, brought us to the place of we need Christmas because we need mercy. This idea of we need compassion. We are weak, feeble people. Even the strongest among us need to recognize if we compare ourselves not to each other, but to God Almighty, we are weak, feeble, frail people. And God is saying we need mercy. And Mary recognizes it and said it. We said that mercy comes in two directions, right? One is just help. We need help with life, but then forgiveness. Well, when we look at Zechariah, we're going to look at this area of forgiveness a little bit deeper. But I want to ask a question. What do you do when life does not turn out the way you hoped? What do you do when life does not turn out the way you hoped. Now that's the question of someone advanced in years. If you're younger, if you're earlier in the spectrum of life, you might say, what do you do when life's not going the way you really wanted it to go? Right? And that question resonates, resonates with all of us. Well, this morning we're going to see that Christmas shows God's love toward His people. Right? As we talk about Christmas, I put Christmas in quotes because Christmas is not just a day, December 25th. Christmas is, is a mindset. It's a framework. It, it's a way to talk about God's amazing work in our world. And so we put it in quotes here, Christmas, and it shows God's love toward his people. Now, we just read the passage about Zechariah. What I'd like to do is just back up a little bit and look at verses 5 through seven. See, earlier in the chapter, Luke chapter one, it says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. So we're being brought into who the Zechariah is. He was a priest. He was of the priestly line of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So now we know that not only was Zacharias of the tribe or the priestly line, but so was his wife, Elizabeth. So Zechariah and Elizabeth are priestly lines. But look at this next phrase. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Now that is one amazing statement. And sometimes when we read something like that or see that, we're like, wow, they were perfect. They were off the charts. No, no. The way we would say it in our world today is he was a straight arrow. You know, he, he lived with integrity. When she said she was going to do something, she did it. If she said she was going to be there, she showed up, right? That, that's what we're talking about when they use those two big words, except it's not lined up on some kind of crazy spectrum that we might think, but it's tied to the very Word of God. So when it says they were righteous 
and walking blamelessly. All that Luke is saying about Zechariah and Elizabeth is that they obeyed the Word of God. They lived it out. So guess what? When you sin, what do you do? You go to the temple. That's how they did it. When we sin, we shouldn't deny it. We shouldn't act like we don't. We shouldn't somehow live out this idea that we're not sinners. No, we fall on our face and we cry out to the Lord for mercy because Jesus died on the cross for our sin, right? So when it says they walked righteously and blamelessly, they lived consistently with the Word of God. They weren't out wandering in the wilderness or playing with the things of the world. No, no, they were living in consistent paths of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7 then says, but. Don't you hate it? Here you got this couple. (laughs) They were living life to honor the Lord, and it says, but. They had no child. Life has disappointments, doesn't it? For them, it was the disappointment of no children. There was shame and there was pain. Now, why do I say shame? Because in that culture, if you didn't have children, it looked like you didn't have the favor of God, which would then say that you were probably living in sin, which was then saying that you weren't living the way God wanted you to live, right? But that was just told us that that was not the case. That they were living righteously and blamelessly. They were living. So there was this embarrassment that comes like, hey God, I'm doing what you want me to do, but you aren't doing what you said you're going to do. And so there's this issue of shame, and then there's the disappointment of life. When things aren't going the way you hoped they would. And sometimes you get far enough down the road and you're like, wow, this is not shaken out the way I thought it would. I thought I'd have more money. I thought I'd be more settled. I thought I'd be more content. I thought, right, right. We all have these hopes and dreams. Just like we talked about last week, Mary had hers. And God said, no, I got a bigger, better one for you. Well, with Zachariah and Elizabeth, They did not have children. It says, because Elizabeth was barren. That's just a way to say God's at work. God had closed her womb. And they were both advanced in years. So now you got the picture. They're along further in life. So the question is, as Zechariah is in the temple, and most of us know the story, he's in the temple. He gets this privileged position Most scholars would say this, that it was like once in a lifetime he was going into the temple and doing the incense. So as he's in there, he has this encounter with an angel. And God says, I'm at work, right? When an angel shows up, God's doing something. And that's exactly what happens, except what the angel tells Zechariah, he struggles to believe. You ever struggle to believe? All of us have. All of us. Let's not be so pious and act like we never had any struggle with believing God, trusting God, leaning into God for stuff, right? And here he is, advanced in years, as was his wife, and here's his promise, you're going to have a child, and Zechariah is like, how's that going to happen, right? So there's this disbelief or unbelief that happens. And so what we then find <clears throat> is that God fulfills his promises and God's love 
is on display, right? So there's this work of God, this love of God. So what I want to do this morning is ask the question, how is God's love displayed based on what Zechariah is saying? When he looks at this Kairos moment, when he starts taking in all that God's doing, the question becomes, how is God's love displayed? And so we begin to see the answer coming in verse 68. He says, Zechariah, he says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. We just read this. Because he has come to his people. He visits his people. So his love is displayed because he visits his people. It's another way to say a Kairos moment. It's another way to say God is invading a life. And what Zacharias saw and what many don't see and didn't see, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the other religious leaders did not see the moment they were in. But Zechariah could see it and he says, because he, God, the Lord, had visited his people. He visits his people. That word has, as it's translated here, has come. In the Old Testament, it's more often translated visits. Some of us have an English translation right here. It's translated visits because God visits his people. So you think of Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. It says this. It says, the Lord, Yahweh, visited Sarah. And what happened when the Lord visited Sarah? She got pregnant, conceived, and had a baby named Isaac, and she was advanced in years. You see what that means? It means when God visits his people, here comes some blessing. Now, I do want to warn you, sometimes God visits his people, and there's some judgment. But we're going to talk about blessing today because it's Christmas, right? So God visits Sarah, and she gives birth to Isaac, and that is in fulfillment of the promises that God had made to Abraham and Sarah. We see it again in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse uh, 2, or 20, uh, 21, rather. The Lord visits, the Hebrew word is pakad, visits Hannah. And guess what happens? She conceives. So God brings this blessing to her. Ruth chapter 1. Verse 6, it says that Naomi heard that God visited his people in Judah. Why? Because she was in Moab. She had fled with her family. And she had heard that God had visited. Well, what did that mean? He was bringing now food and water and breaking the famine that was in Judah at the time. And Naomi heard and she said, let's go back. So she had eyes to see. She had ears to hear what God was doing. Powerful one comes in Genesis chapter 50. Again, verse 24, Joseph, he's about to die. Remember Joseph in Egypt? And he's down there, and it says God, he's, he's on his deathbed, and he's talking to his brothers. He's saying, God will visit you. And what's he going to do? He's going to draw you out of Egypt. Now, there was a delay for sure, but God would bless them and bring them out. So Zechariah, he saw that this was a pakad moment, a moment of God visiting, or as I've been saying, a kairos moment when God was doing something substantial. Isn't it significant to see this? Because a lot of people, 
This is what's going to happen over the next 20 days, 25 days. We're going to walk through the Christmas season and most people are not going to see Christmas. And do you know that that happens right here at Fox Valley Church? Do you know that there's people that are going to come every week and they're going to walk out every week and it's not going to make any difference in their life because they don't see what God is doing around them. It's like the men of Issachar. They understood the times in which they lived. Do you understand the times in which you live? Do you know that this is one of the most significant moments in the history of the world? And you and I are privileged to be alive now. You say, well, wait a minute, what are you saying? Do you have eyes to see what's happening? The world is collapsing around us. They're trying to make life work without God. They're trying to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and say, I'm God, and it's collapsing around them. You don't have to look very far. We all feel it. Families, marriages, children, everything's starting to come down. It's amazing. I don't say that to put fear in you. All I'm saying is that there's a moment here where we got to see that God is at work among his people and you and I are privileged to be able to speak the truth of life, of what God is doing in this world. Just this past week, what did our government do? It again reaffirmed that you can define marriage however you want. And God says, are you crazy? I'm the one who designed it. I'm the one who made it. I'm the one who created male and female and bring them together in holy matrimony. That's why Jesus so profoundly, so firmly, so strongly said in Matthew 19, what God has joined together, let no one separate, right? And then he's quoting out of Genesis. So here we are again in a Kairos moment if we're here and it's a privileged time to see. And yet so many people miss it and sometimes we miss it. Can I just say the same reason so many people in the first century missed it? God didn't show up with a lot of fanfare. I mean, come on. If a president of the United States is going to go visit another country, what does he do? They have calculated the thousands of pounds of luggage that they bring, the number of people that come in their entourage, got to bring his own personal doctor, the hairdresser, all the uh, people to prepare the food. This is just to get our president out of our country to go visit another dignitary in another country. We spend millions of dollars. It's been calculated to be 20, 30 million dollars sometimes just for a president to go visit another dignitary. So here we have God coming to this earth. How many doctors did you see in the stable? How many hairdressers? How many chefs? How many suitcases? No, God shows up in the barest of form, doesn't He? To visit His people. You know, God may delay but he always delivers. He always delivers. So Zechariah may have been advanced in age, but God delivered. 
Well, God not only visits His people, He redeems His people, right? That's what we see in verse 68. He redeems them. Redeems them from what? He redeemed them certainly out of Egypt, but He's going to redeem them from the Roman Empire and He's going to redeem them from sin. And that's the powerful part of what God is doing through this. And Zechariah, he could see it. That's what we're reading here, is that he knew that God was going to redeem not only politically, but spiritually. He was going to change hearts. But what Zechariah didn't know that you know is how God was going to do it. And how is God going to do it? He was bringing His Son Jesus Christ, in the form of human flesh who would live among us and die on a cross. Zechariah didn't have the whole picture yet. Who could comprehend all that God was doing? Who could understand it? And God is revealing it more and more. So He redeems His people. Here's a third. He sends a conquering king. That's what He means in verse 69. He raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. Horn is a picture of power. A power to deliver us. That's what salvation is. To deliver us, again, politically and spiritually. Now what we begin to see, if you read your Bible, is that God redeems us, rescues us spiritually first. And do you know one day He's coming back as a conquering king? One day he's going to show you the political power that he carries. So while we think there's so much political power in the United States, what, let me tell you, God, when he brings his kingdom, now you're going to see a kingdom. Now you're going to see power. Now you're going to see the way things are, uh, the way they're supposed to be. So Zechariah begins to see this. His eyes are opening up that God visits his people, that God redeems his people and that God sends this conquering king. Now let me just say, could I just pause and hit a little bit of a parenthesis here? At Fox Valley Church, I mentioned this last week, big on Advent candles. Big on those. We have them in the cafe. This is a way for you to hit the pause button every week. And some of us can do it daily. But to take a few moments, bring your family together, and read a little bit of the Christmas story. We have books, both that are, are a little bit for older kids. We have some in Journeyland for some younger. You can grab those, get a wreath. If you have a wreath, there's some candles there. Now let me just say, and let me just be really honest with you. Sometimes as a dad, I would bring my children together and say, hey, let's do the Advent wreath, right? Let, let's pull together. And we, you know, get them around. And then all chaos would break loose. Don't give up is all I'm trying to say. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Sometimes kids aren't always cooperative. In fact, last week, Kathy and I did this, right? We sat down in our family room. We still do Advent together. Except she got out of sorts and we had to cancel the whole deal. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That's terrible. That's terrible. I was the one, if anyone's going to get out of sorts, right? My point is, don't be afraid if things don't all pull together the way you like, but to take some time and read the Christmas story is huge. It's huge. It's so that we can have some Kairos moments. We can see what God is doing. 
Well, let's move on through the story here in Luke chapter 1, verse 71. Christmas celebrates God's rescue mission. That's what Christmas is about. Again, it's in quotes. We're not talking about one day. We're talking about this move of God, the Kairos moment, God bringing his son to this earth that he would, look what it says here, he's going to raise up the Lord for his deliverance, right? That's the rescue that is taking place. That's what he said in verse 68. He said he's going to raise up this one, and so this one he's going to raise up will bring salvation, this rescue mission to this earth. Well, what are the marks of God's rescue mission? What, what are the marks of it? How do we know it? The first thing it says here in verse 72, it says he shows mercy. And this ties us a lot into what happened with Mary last week, is he shows mercy, right? Mercy is just another word for compassion, kindness. It's unbelievable how good and how kind God is to his people. When I say that, I don't mean that it's always easy. It doesn't mean it's always simple. What I mean, though, is that there is a kindness of God that he is always with us. He is always present. He is always bringing us along for those of us that want to keep seeing it and keep pursuing it. He shows mercy to his people. When it says that it says, show mercy to his ancestors, and then secondly, to remember his holy covenant, to remember it, right? He remembers it. When it says remembers, it doesn't mean he's like having this cognitive glitch like seniors have. It means that God is taking action. There's a beautiful story, I love it, in Genesis chapter 8. Remember the flood, the universal flood? Noah and his family are out on the ark. And know what it says in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1? You just got to love the humor of Scripture. It, it says that God remembered Noah. It's almost like you read that and it's like, well, God had this temporary glitch and he forgot that he flooded the earth and Noah and his family's floating out there. No, when it says Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, God remembered, it means that God is now ready to take action. And that's what is going on here in the passage. It's not only that he's showing mercy, but he remembered. He's now taking action on his holy covenant. The holy covenant that God made to Abraham. The promise that he would bless all the nations of the earth. And do you know that you're part of the nations of the earth and God is part fulfilling what he promised through them. It says the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. That's the political side, but we also see the spiritual side as we'll see in this third point is that God enables us or empowers us to serve him without fear. Actually, we should put the without fear at the beginning there because what the point is, is that now we'll be able to serve God without fear. And what Zechariah didn't understand was how the Holy Spirit was going to be coming upon us and empowering us to be able to serve God's people. And so we see these amazing things in God. And so when we look at Zechariah this week, we would say this, we need Christmas because we need rescue from sin. We need Christmas because we need rescue from sin. All of us, sin, when we look at it vertically, is that we have rebelled against God. That's what sin is. We don't always obey. We don't always submit. When we look at it horizontally, we're talking about selfishness. 
We're talking about self-centeredness. We're talking about rudeness. We're talking about all the things on a relational level. And sin, sin is what destroys the relationship with God vertically and hurts our relationships in our families, among our friends, in our community, and even in our nation. And so what Christmas is about is about a Savior, a Savior who has come. And Zechariah, in his song, was pointing us that one day there would be a political conquering king that would come and make things right. But right now, we're in this place in God's plan to deal with our own personal stuff. So, what do we need to do when we get disappointed? We need to remember that God may delay, but he always delivers. And can I tell you, when God delivers, it's always better than you could ever hope or imagine. You cannot imagine, you could not dream big enough of how awesome it's going to be when Jesus returns. But right now, we're in this place where we got to keep coming back to Jesus Christ. So in a couple moments, if you're online, I want to encourage you. We're going to take the elements. I want to encourage you. We do this together. But to take some time and sit with the Lord. Let me go ahead and pray first. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for Zechariah, that he had a Kairos moment. That he could see, God, what you were doing. That he could express it and celebrate it with praise. God, that we would be your people doing the same things. And God, as we come together as a church family, the Lord's Supper, would you take this time and speak to us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You should have received the elements when you came in. Do you know... First, if you didn't get the elements, you could just lift your hands and the servers will get them to you. This could be a Kairos moment that God wants to speak to you right now. You know what will hinder your Christmas season? Not dealing with sin. Not dealing with the stuff between us and God. Maybe you're angry with God. Maybe you're confused with God. Maybe you're upset with God. Deal with God right now. Tell God where you stand, what it is that you're struggling with, and He'll speak into your life. I'm sorry for that distraction. Don't let that distraction pull you away from the moment. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. Do you know what he said that for? Why he said that? Because of the relational pull of the body. We pull away from each other. There's relational break. And what he wanted to do was bring it all back together. And that's what he's doing if we'll let him do it. So on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this is my body, the sense of oneness, the sense of family. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together.
Now you need to take a moment and just ask God, is there anything that you want to bring to my attention? Is there an area of my life that's not under your lordship? Is there an area that I haven't yielded? Is there someone I need to go make things right with? Is there someone that I need to build that bridge back of love? Don't try to conjure this up. Just let the Spirit work right now. Coming to this place where we all recognize we've fallen short of the glory of God. And this is where the moment becomes powerful because God wants to forgive. He wants to extend this grace to you, this mercy, this compassion. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, if we agree with God that we have failed instead of trying to deny it or slip it under the rug or somehow avoid it, he's saying, no, if you confess it, if you agree with him, he says that he's faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the cup, he blessed it, and he gave thanks. And he says, as often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. We just take a moment now. Let me pray, and then I'd just like to linger just for a few seconds here. Father, thank you for forgiving us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that your Spirit is drawing us closer into a relationship with you so that we could walk like Zachariah and Elizabeth, blamelessly and righteously. Thank you, God. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.